to do something, you can go in there, look at that checklist and say, all right, I'll take care of this. Now, I would recommend actually talking with Daniel or Sarah or whoever arranges to open the door for you, but we have a lot of work now. So a lot of it's been kind of tearing up and tearing out and stuff. And now that a lot of the heavy stuff is done, now we have to do all the, the painting prep, the pulling off the fixtures, uh, the, the switch plates, uh, we, the bathrooms are like gutted. Um, they're actually, they were kind of nasty. So those are going to get all cleaned. Uh, we hope to have brand new bathrooms uh, when we move in, or at least close to brand new. And uh, so if, the, if you want to help out, contact the church office, contact Daniel, Sarah, myself. We'll arrange a time to get you there. Uh, it, we can let you in, lock the door behind you, and then you can stay there for three days, work hard, and then we'll let you out. Uh, so whatever you want to do, uh, we're, we're in pretty good shape uh, as far as timeline. Now, not everything's going to get done. You're not going to walk in and it's going to be the Sistine Chapel or Notre Dame or anything like that. It, it'll be move-in ready, even if there's dust and dirt everywhere. No, there's not gonna be dust and dirt everywhere. But uh, we should have some new carpet, and uh, hopefully we can get all the lights and sound in there and stuff. So I know everybody's like, oh, my gosh, he's backtracking. I, I can tell. In, in reality, uh, we will be ready to move in one way or another. If Daniel has to stay up 24 hours a day for six weeks, we will be moving ready. Okay. Um, so like I said, if, if, uh, if you uh, want to do painting and prep, painting is easy. And, and you know what we're doing? Most of it's going to be white. Just we're, we're doing white, and then we'll kind of pick and choose. Um, by the way, this is what our kids' area is going to look like. Now, this isn't a rendering. This is another church. But we really like that idea. So see kind of the gray. Uh, uh, they're actually like a vinyl floor. Uh, we're going to put that in the hallways, the lobby. Uh, and then there will be nice, some nice carpet in there and stuff. So that, that's the kids' church. Okay. There was a, a friend of mine, and um, during COVID, and he didn't have a very good job. Um, and his very good job got, basically he got uh, uh, let go during COVID. Uh, he worked at uh, Star Brothers uh, over there on, uh, I can't even think of the name of the street. San Antonio, thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. So he worked at Star Brothers. They had to let him go. He didn't have a job. And so he applied at a bunch of different places. And a friend of him says, hey, I know of someone at the zoo that needs your help or, or that needs some help. So he applies for the position thinking it's like clean up for the animals or whatever. And when he gets there, they said, our gorillas are all sick, but we don't want to like mess up with the, uh, all the visitors. And so we want to make sure that uh, they have something to look at. So we want you to put on this gorilla suit. And he was like, what? And they're like, but we pay 15 bucks an hour. And he's like, well, that's $15 more an hour than I'm making now. And he thought, I'll just do this for a day and they'll probably give me the other job. So he puts on the gorilla suit and he, he sits in there and he just sat there the first day. And he, he'd kind of like go around and stuff. And he's like, man, this is a lame job. And nobody even noticed can you believe Albuquerque Zoo, nobody noticed the gorilla that was actually a human? Well, he goes home, and he's like, you know, 
if I'm going to have to keep doing this job, because they said, no, this is the job. You're, you're not going to clean up after the animals. You don't get to feed the tigers or anything like that. So he goes back, and he's like, I'm going to just put myself into this. Maybe I can impress them. So he starts getting out on the jungle gym, and he's swinging around and stuff. Super impressive. And it became like an amazing phenomenon. Like everybody in Albuquerque, well, maybe not you guys, but a lot of people in Albuquerque went to watch him. And, he, and he's swinging around, and they're like, man, this gorilla is so fun to watch. And the kids were like, gosh, a gorilla is now my favorite animal. And one day, he was swinging, and he swung up and over the wall and landed in the lion's area. And the lion's sitting there staring at him and comes over to him and goes down to him, and he starts screaming. <gasps> And a voice from the lion says, hey, be quiet, or we're both going to get fired. <laughs> Everyone gets deceived. Now, I don't know where it was in that story, but somewhere in that story, you were like, oh, wait a second. Now, now if it was at the end... I have got a bridge to sell you. If you don't think that everybody gets deceived at one time or another, listen to this list. A Trojan, a backdoor Trojan, it's where they sneak in illicit code into your computer through uh, something that looks amazing. I don't know, it's not, it never looks like a horse to me, but I like at work at Sandia Labs, I end up getting a Trojan. Uh, through the computer. You got phishing with a PH. I don't know, is that like an urban phishing? And then you have spear phishing, and you have cat phishing, and whaling. Whaling's where they go after like the CEOs and the CFOs and all the top people of the company. Smishing, that, that's like phishing through text, SMS. And then you got vishing, which is phishing through voicemail. And then you have a country that has its own scam named after it. Anybody know what the country is? Nigeria, <laughs> exactly. It's like Nigeria. Hey, you just won a lottery. If you send me your bank account number and password, then we'll send you the money and deposit it in your account. I mean, that, that's basically what it is. Now, you're like, who would fall for that? Well, somebody has because like the entire country got named after a scam that they try and pull on everybody. At one time or another, you are going to be deceived. I've been deceived. Mark Twain, I love this quote. He says, what gets us into trouble isn't what we know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. Like, I swear this happened. And then my wife shows me the picture. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I was deceived. I was mistaken. You at one time in your life are going to get deceived. And I would even venture to guess that at least half of you are deceived right now. I'm not really here. This is just, no. Now, here's, here's the bottom line. If you don't want to be deceived, you need two things. First thing is you need an active prayer life. If you don't have an active prayer life, then there's no communication between you and God. And so he's not able to speak to you. And the second thing you need is you need accountability. You need people around you that are willing to say hard things to you because you need to hear them. Notice I didn't say friendships. 
Just because you have a Christian friend that follows God does not mean that you're accountable to them. Because I know a lot of lame Christians that would never say a harsh word because they're too worried about the friendship and messing it up than actually helping me. And so if you have a friend that's willing to say a harsh word, better, what is it, better the uh, wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy is a verse in Proverbs. Better the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. If your friend really loves you, they're going to speak something into your life. Now, when the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Parasites. No, there's no Parasites in there. They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So remember what happened is Joshua, they had gone in, they destroyed Jericho. Uh, Achan stole the stuff from Jericho and, and kept it hidden. And so when they went and fought Ai, they, uh, they lost the first time. But then uh, they, they killed Achan and all his family and all was, all was good. And then they go in and they attack Ai. And so all these kings, all the coastal kings, they're like, all right, if we band together, we can take them on. Gibeonites... Uh, who were also, it was the Hivites that were living in Gibeon, so they became the Gibeonites. They said, you know what? We cannot fight these guys. We've heard of their God. We've seen, like, they've walked through a river. They've walked through the Red Sea. They fought, uh, they had a pillar of fire, all this stuff. They knew what was going to happen to them. So it says, however, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. A deception. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put on worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Sometimes I wonder if these guys that are on the street corner, like they go home and they put on their, like their casual dockers and, and like a, a polo shirt and stuff. But when they're going to go out and work the corners, uh, you know, the panhandlers and stuff, they like put on their worst clothes. And, and you just kind of wonder sometimes because like sitting there, I'll see them get like 50 bucks. And I'm like, you make more than I do right now, it, it seems like. So that's what, the, that's what the Gibeonites did is they're like, you know what? We're going to appeal to their sympathies. It says, then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us or make a covenant with us. Now, why is this important? Well, because when Moses was leading, he, God gave a command, hey, this is what it is. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. And he's talking about all the Canaanites, all the people of the country that are going to go and invade. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Now, notice that God has a reason. If you go in there, like Canaan was like the land of, it was kind of a melting pot where everybody would, would go because it was really fertile. It was a fertile area. It was also the crossroads, so all the tradespeople wanted to go there. So you have religions from kind of the European areas, the Asian areas, uh, Africa, all just kind of in this one little place. And then you have the influence of all the uh, empires that had been there. 
So, I mean, there's this God, and there's that God, and there's this God, and it was just like pan gods. And, and God's like, if you go in there and you make a treaty with them, you're going to be buddy-buddy with them, and you're going to start to follow their God. God has made his people holy, and he's made you holy, and so you have to separate yourself. Now, this, this is a hard balance. You have to separate yourself from the world so that you're not being influenced by their gods. Now, our world, the biggest, inf- God, the biggest God or the biggest idol that they have is themselves. People just follow whatever they want. They want to do whatever they want. They choose, maybe it's politics. Maybe politics is their God. Or maybe new age religion is their God. Or or whatever it happens to be, they have their gods. And God, he tells us, I want you to be separated from them and not be influenced by them. But then Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And even Jesus went, and he went to all the, the lost and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, basically all the dregs of society, because he had a mission. So how do these two line up? There's one word. It's called influence. Who is influencing who? Jesus could go into all those areas because he had a greater influence over them than they ever had on him. He had been tempted with the kingdoms of the world when he was out in the wilderness, and he turned it all down. So if, if you can go to a bar and you can share Jesus with the people in the bar and not succumb to all the bar, things that happen in bars. I know some of you don't know what happens in bars, but all those things that happen, and you can share Christ with people and you can build relationships, hey, go for it. Or are you being deceived? But if you have a weakness for alcohol and you have a weakness for uh, sex or you have a weakness for whatever and going to a bar is going to cause a stumbling block, then they're having more of an influence on you. Well, God saw what was going to happen when they went into into Canaan. Now, I love my wife dearly. And I get jealous whenever anybody shows any sort of interest. We've been to a couple of parties. Um, For a period of time, she had lost her, her wedding ring. Well, it was actually stolen right off her hand. You know those people that do the lotion in the, in the malls and stuff? Here, try this lotion. And he whoop, just slipped it off. And, and she took my grandma's wedding ring. And everybody said, yes, exactly. So there was a period of time where Sarah didn't have a wedding ring. And I, we would go places and guys would start hitting on her. And I was like, where's my shotgun? I want to shoot someone right now. And I, I'd go up and I'd put my arm around him and just stare at him. Excuse me? I'm a jealous man when it comes to my wife and when it comes to my daughters. Like, any guy that comes up, I'm going to be jealous until they prove that my jealousy, is unfound, my jealousy is unfounded. God is a jealous God. And I want you to hear something. This is what God says. Do not worship any other God. So basically, God's trying to keep the Israelites out of Canaan so that they're not influenced. And he says, do not worship any other God. This is in Exodus chapter 34. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So God says, not only am I a jealous God, my name is jealous. I care about the Israelites so much that I am trying to keep everybody away from them. Do you realize that word in Hebrew 
That's the only definition of it, is it's God's jealousy. It's only applied to God. It's not applied anywhere else. Like God even made a special name for himself saying, I'm jealous. I want you to understand that I am super jealous over you. In every instance of that word, it's referring to God. So why is this? Okay, here's where a little bit of teaching and theology comes in. Yo's over there, he's like, ooh, sweet. Yo likes theology. What God was trying to keep them from doing is setting up a covenant between the Canaanites and, and Israel. So what is a covenant? It's an agreement between two people. It's a biblical word, but it's an agreement between two people. And there's usually a sign that comes with it. There's usually, um, there has to be some sort of uh, shedding of blood. But basically what they used to do is they'd cut a, a cow in half and they'd actually both walk through the cow, which is kind of weird to me. Uh, but if you want to bring it into modern day, for little kids, it's the pinky swear. You got a pinky swear to me. Because, like, you, you never violated a pinky swear when you are a kid. Did any of you violate a pinky swear when you were a kid? See? See, it, it's the blood brothers for a teenage boy. I would rather die a thousand deaths than, get, than break that blood brother. It's the matching heart lockets for teenage girls. Anybody have any matching heart lockets? Quentin, I think you had a matching heart. No, I'm just kidding. It's bros and sisters. It's besties. It's a promise. It's a contract, a marriage. It's a formal agreement. And it's even a will. It's a binding document between two people. And one person owns something, and the other person owns something. So there are actually several covenants in the Bible. So you want to know why God's a jealous God? Because he set up multiple covenants in the Bible. The first one was the Edenic covenant. Or it's the covenant of Eden. And basically he said, I'm going to make God, a man in God's own image, in my own image. You can be fruitful and multiply. I don't want you eating meat. Yes, that's in the Bible. No, don't eat meat. Don't, um, and don't eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that was the first covenant that he said. That's a pretty simple thing. Hey, I don't want you to eat meat. Well, actually, maybe that's a little harder than I thought. I, I would actually miss meat, eating meat, especially bacon. Like bacon's like, bacon and ribeye are like always fighting at the top. Bacon might win because it's a little salty. And that, that just, so you, it's like you can't get enough bacon until, until you get the meat sweats like the guy on the video. The second covenant, so, so that covenant was broken when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So then God instituted a second covenant. It's called the Adamic covenant or the covenant of Adam. So in this covenant, they basically broke the rules and there were consequences that happened. So there was the enmity between Satan and Eve and her descendants. descendants. Enmity means like a battle, a fight. Uh, there's painful childbirth for women. There's marital strife. The soil is cursed so that man has to labor in the soil. Uh, basically the introduction of thistles and thorns. You know, heaven is where gardening is going to have, not have weeds. Won't that be awesome? Uh, and it's also death. That's the sign, is that people suddenly started dying. Then that doesn't work out so well because people kind of follow their own God. So then it goes to the Noahic covenant or the covenant of Noah. And it was right after the flood. So God's like, you know what? You guys are sinning too much. The entire world is sinning. It's like uh, just one big orgy. And so I'm just going to wipe everybody out. So the flood comes, wipes everybody out. God creates another covenant. 
like he has to keep starting over because man keeps sinning. And he says, I won't destroy the earth by flood again. Be fruitful and multiply. Ah, but now you can eat meat. So he's made it even more liberal. But animals were going to fear humans. And then he added another one. Do not kill one another. Why? Cain and Abel. And all the other people after that. And then what's the sign of that covenant? You guys should know this one. The rainbow, yeah. It was God's before it was others. The next covenant was the Abrahamic covenant. And this is a really simple one. Is God chooses Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those that bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God and Abraham made this covenant. And God actually, to shed the blood, God actually asked Abraham to sacrifice his son to see if Abraham was willing to. Abraham got there with the knife and then God provided a goat. And so that was the shedding of the blood. What's the sign of the covenant with Abraham? It's the one that no man here wants. Circumcision. If I were Abraham, I might have like not agreed to that. Then there's the Mosaic covenant. Are you starting to see, like, God never let those covenants fall aside. God always held up his side, but man kept messing up. And so God, there'd be a covenant of works, like, if you do this, then you'll be blessed. And they kept messing up. And so then God would bring in a covenant of grace to cover over all of that. And so you have the Mosaic covenant or the covenant of Moses, and this is the, the law, it's law after law after law after law after law. And if you do all these things, then you will have good happen to you. And this is what the Israelites were under at this time. So all these covenants are going on. God keeps making this covenant. You know, at one point, God even tells Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute because I want Israel to see how they've prostituted themselves against me. Like, they're not getting it. I'm making this covenant, and this covenant, and this covenant, and this covenant, and you're not getting it. It's like a husband, and the wife just keeps cheating on him, and cheating on him, and cheating on him. And God's saying to his people, are you just going to follow me? Are you just going to love me? Are you just going to seek my face? There's the land covenant that I won't go into. And then there's the Davidic covenant, where God starts to allude to the future and he says, I'm going to have the Messiah, and I'm going to set up a new covenant, and it's going to come through your descendants. And then you, get, you finally you get to the new covenant. And what God says is, you know what? We've spent all this time doing all these covenants, and you were unable to follow them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sign called the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to put this Holy Spirit inside of you, and I'm going to change your heart from within. And I'm going to make it so that you want to be faithful. Because God saw we couldn't do it. Hundreds and hundreds of years, God was faithful. He was the faithful husband. Lighting the fire at night. Chopping wood. Looking out the window waiting for his wife. And every time she would come back and repent, he'd bring her back in. 
it's interesting because even in the Old Testament, it says, but God remembered his covenant with the Israelites, with Abraham, with whatever. God is all about grace. And then in the New Testament, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So basically, when Jesus came and you got the Holy Spirit deposited inside of you, it did something in your heart that suddenly you want to be faithful. Now, if you don't feel that way, if you don't want to be faithful, then I would challenge you that you're probably not saved. You're probably not following God. You probably never had that covenant relationship with God. You never signed the marriage contract. So God was trying to protect the Israelites from the deception because he's a jealous God. And the Gibeonites said, we are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. Now, why would they want a treaty with Joshua if they were from a very distant country? Like, that should have been their first clue that they, that they weren't being truthful. Like, I don't care what's going on in Indonesia right now. Honestly, I don't. Indonesia, I don't think about it unless I see it come up in the newspaper. I remember when World War I started, there were these little towns uh, in the Midwest and in, like in West Virginia or in the Ozarks or whatever. They didn't hear about World War I for like three months because the newspaper hadn't got to them by then. And suddenly they were finding out and they're like, so? Well, our country is fighting their country. Well, so? It's not affecting me. I mean, they, they should have had a clue that the Gibeonites were not being truthful. And they said, your servants have come for a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth, well, I won't go into that. They said, we were afraid of your God. God the Israelites to question, uh, they got the Israelites to question the motives of God. We heard about all these people that your God has killed. And so we thought, well, we better take care of this. And so the Israelites were, well, maybe we're being kind of hard on all these people. In 1864, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, this during the Civil War, he was going from Decatur, Georgia, and he was trying to get to Nashville. But between there, there was a fort in Athens, Georgia, and there was Colonel, Wal uh, Colonel Wallace Campbell, who was the uh, commander of that fort. And so Nathan Bedford Forrest, basically, he knew that they had to uh, destroy that fort or, or basically defeat that army so that he surrounded it. And he said, all right, uh, why don't you come and we'll have peace negotiations? Well, the commander of the fort wasn't going to, basically wasn't going to uh, surrender and so what they did is Nathan Bedford Forrest took him from place to place, all the different camps uh, within his army, and he, he would show him this camp, and then he would show him that camp, knowing that Colonel Campbell was going to be tallying how many soldiers were there. Well, what was happening is as they'd leave one camp, that camp would get up, and they'd move to the other side of the other camp. And so really it was just like two camps, 
But Colonel Campbell thought it was like 15. And he's like, oh my gosh, they're going to destroy us. And so they surrendered. So Nathan Bedford Forrest, I mean, they were the Southern Confederacy, they were pretty wily in, in how they fought their war. They were greatly outnumbered. The industry of the North was much better, but they used deception, just like the Gideonites, to get their way. And it worked. Everyone gets deceived. And here's the crazy thing is when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. All right, everybody here that feels they're not deceived, raise your hand. Ah, see, that was a trap. You guys are learning. That's excellent. Like, if, you, if you're deceived, you're not going to know it. But I'll tell you another truth is everybody thinks they're not deceived. Just like everybody thinks they're above average drivers. We can't all, like half of us can't be above average, or only half of us can be above average drivers. But yet all of us feel we're above average drivers. Here's where it all falls apart for the Israelites. This is Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. The Israelites went and they looked at all the gear that the Gibeonites had. And it was all old and stale and stuff. But did not inquire of the Lord. How stupid would I be if I went and bought a house and didn't ask my wife? She'd be like, go live in it by yourself. They didn't inquire of God. Why? I think their ego, they were like, ah, we're good. God's going to take care of us. We're good. You know what the word is? They got comfortable. So, after three days, it only took three days, they figured out who they were. And they were like, oops, we blew it. Now, let me give you three implications of not asking God when there's decisions to be made or when you're in a situation. The first one is you miss out on great things. So Jesus gave them this answer, and I shared this verse a couple weeks ago. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. He will show them even greater works than these. Like Jesus did some, I mean, he raised someone from the dead. What's greater than that? Ah, raising someone spiritually from the dead. I'd like to see a leg grow out of a stump. I'd like to see great things. Am I inquiring of God? Am I going to God every day in my prayer closet and saying, God, what are you doing today? And then am I following him to that spot? If they had done that, they, they wouldn't have been deceived. God would have said, no, don't believe them. They're lying to you. They did that multiple times. God warned them about this and about that and about this and about that. God says, I will take care of you. And this one time they didn't go to him and it, it messed everything up. The second thing that happens is frustration from those that follow you. So it says, but the Israelites did not attack them. So they finally get to Gibeon, and they're like, oh, man, we made a treaty with these guys. Now, a covenant in the Bible, a treaty in the Bible, like, if you broke that, God was going to kill you. It, it's just, that's the way it was. So they were in a pickle. God told them to attack the land, but he also said, 
uh, don't make any treaties uh, or, or don't make any treaties with them. But then he also says, don't break your oaths. So they got in a situation where it was a lose-lose situation. When you don't inquire of God, you're in a lose-lose situation. And then it says, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. You get an army that's chomping at the bit. They just saw what had happened in Jericho. They just saw what had happened in Ai. They're chomping at the bit. They're out there. And all of a sudden, Joshua says, nope, back to your tents. War's off. We're not attacking them. I'd be ticked off too. Wait a second, Joshua. You're not following God because God said that we're supposed to go in. We're supposed to wipe them all out. Remember that? Joshua, you told us one thing, and Moses told us one thing, and now you're not doing it. So our leaders must be deceived, and they're going off on their own, and they're not following God. Well, they were doing all they could do. But who heard from God on a daily basis at that time? It was basically Joshua and Moses. Because all the people, they didn't have the access to God like you guys do. You can go into your prayer closet and you can hear from God and God can speak to you and you can go in and you can share Christ with someone at your work or at your school because that's where God's working and he's been working in their lives and then suddenly it says that God does nothing without first telling his prophets. So God can come in, you can be in your prayer closet, God, where are you working? And God puts someone's mind or someone's name in your mind and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go talk with them. And you go and talk with them and they're like, I'm going through a really hard time. And you say, can I pray for you? And suddenly something has opened up that you didn't even know was going to happen. But the leaders, because they didn't listen to God, they got themselves in a pickle. The people didn't know. Joshua didn't get up in front of them and said, we blew it. We made a mistake. Just said, we're not attacking them. Third thing is that you can carry the consequences of not hearing from God for a long, long time. So you have Joshua, then you have all the judges, and then Israel says, we want a king. So they basically choose Saul as king. And then after Saul, it was supposed to be Absalom, but it ends up being David because Jonathan and Absalom were killed. So, and Saul was killed. So you, you go through all these generations of people and it gets to David. And it says, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. They made a treaty with the Gibeonites and generations later, Saul goes in and kills a bunch of the Gibeonites, and there's a famine in the land for three years. What are the consequences of you not hearing from God? I don't know. But this scares me to death when I read this. I don't want to have like famine in my life for three years because I didn't listen to God. When I knew it was God, I knew he was speaking to me. Like sometimes you're kind of like, I don't know. You know what, God is, or uh, the devil is never going to tell you to go share Christ with someone. Okay, that's a given. The devil's never going to tell you to have faith in God. The devil's never going to tell you to step out in faith because you trust the character of God. Now you might 
feel like, oh, I just humiliated myself and you, you did something stupid, but God honors your faith because God has good character. What is it that God is calling you to do? This morning, this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to like shame anybody. How many of you got up and had some time with Christ? Had some time praying? Ah, oh, Pastor Jeff, you're so mean. Might we do that before church? Or, or is this our time? This is our, our time of the day where we, we give to God and the rest is ours. Like we got football and we got lunch. I know that was a little harsh. So here's what David did. Gets worse. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, who's a different Mephibosheth. Like, could they not choose like Bob? <laughs> the two sons of Aya's uh, daughter, Rizpah. So the, one daughter of Saul, they took her two sons, whom she had borne to Saul together with the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merab. The five, excuse me. They took Saul's wife's two sons, and then they took their daughter's five sons, uh, whom she had borne to Adriel's son of, I'm not even going to try. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. So they got to this situation. David, because of the oath that was broken, had to go in and kill all these descendants, kill seven, like, had to go to this daughter and take her five sons and turn them over to the enemy to be killed. All because of Joshua not following the word of God and making a tree. What consequences are you going to have if you allow the world to influence you and you make a covenant with the world instead of keeping your covenant to God? generations all right let's have the worship team come up skip ahead one more generation to King Solomon King Solomon was very young and it says Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. Gosh, the consequence of that deception was so harsh. But God had a covenant of grace. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give. And I think Solomon sat there. And when God showed up, like Solomon, he knew that it was wrong to make sacrifices there. He sacrificed a thousand sacrifices. 
That's a lot. Did that take hours or days, months? I don't know. But a thousand sacrifices. And God shows up. And I think when God showed up, Solomon, like inside something just turned. And he recognized that in his sin, God showed up. And he had made a covenant with the Gibeonites from years and years ago. And God showed up with a covenant of grace. The Edenic covenant, the Adamic covenant, all these were for Israel. You know what? God has a covenant of grace for us as individuals. He went to Gideon and he made a covenant with Gideon. He went to uh, Joshua and raised him up as a leader. He went to individuals in the midst of all these great covenants. He went to all these different individuals and he built a relationship with them and said, if you will honor me, I will be your God. And I will raise you up and I'll, I'll be with you and I'll, I'll be for you. And so Solomon's sitting there and I wonder if God's grace, Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the husband that keeps coming back and keeps welcoming back the wife that keeps cheating on him. And I think he saw that and something broke inside of him. And he looked back and he says, look at all this stuff that I could ask for. But look what it brought Israel. It brought deception. It brought false gods. It brought all this stuff. And so instead of asking for money, long life, death of his enemies, he could have right there asked for the death of all the Gibeonites and kind of wiped the slate clean. But I think he saw that what was most important was God's gospel of grace. Let's stand up. This is what Solomon asked for. So give your servant a discerning heart. A discerning heart means you're able to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil, between godly things and worldly things. He says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. In other words, I want to have influence and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You know, before you, I'm, I'm the interim pastor of this church. <laughs> I cannot express how often I've said, God, give me wisdom in this situation. As a church and as a leadership, we are calling our leaders to seek God and have a discerning ear between following God and doing church or doing what the world wants or whatever. We are trying to discern what God is saying. And you as individuals, I want to encourage you, ask the same thing as Solomon did. God, give me a discerning heart Give me a discerning mind that I can see where you're working and I can go to that. If you don't want to be deceived, you have to have two things. You have to have an active prayer life and you have to have accountability. This is the last verse I'll share in John. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. All we have to do is get in our prayer closet and seek God and let him 
let the Holy Spirit tell us where he's working and what's to come, what we're supposed to do. Let's just pray right now. Father God, we don't want to be deceived. Uh, And God, right now we might be deceived. (laughs) We don't even know. But God, you know. You know what absolute truth is because you are absolute truth. People can deny you. doesn't mean you don't exist. People can deny that uh, you put your Holy Spirit in people, but that's not truth. And God, we want truth. We want to be lovers of truth. So right now, I put in it. I put, um, I just ask God that you would put in every single person here a hunger to get in their prayer closet and start seeking you, not for their glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Shalom. 